Ma Coco? Aye. For Maui, it's a new beginning. With honor and deep respect, we're moving forward. We're ready to get people back to work. We all have to do our part, and we'll make this happen. Working together. We are ready to work. Ready to serve. All ready. 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 We are ready. For more information, visit makokomoe.com. The Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency. The Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency. Aloha, everybody. Welcome to The Mothership. If you've been a fan of Star Trek like me, I'm going to admit it. Yes, I'm a fan of Star Trek. Then you probably heard the saying to boldly go where no man has gone before, right? Well, we're joined by a woman who has gone where hardly anyone has gone before. Dawn Wright is the first African-American woman to dive down to the deepest point on Earth in the ocean and she has some Hawaii ties. She grew up on Maui. Welcome, Dawn, to the Mothership Podcast. Uh, aloha. Thank you. Mahalo for having me on your podcast. Yeah, it's great uh, that you joined us. We, we Thank you. We know that you're so busy. Um, first, can you start off by telling us a little bit about your upbringing on Maui? Yes, uh, we moved first to Oahu. Uh, because my mother got a job uh, teaching at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, and my dad was a, a basketball coach. He he played on a semi-professional team that probably doesn't exist anymore on Oahu. He played for uh, Jolly Roger. <laughs> anyway, uh, we because she was um, she was a, a professor, and uh, she sort of led the way in terms of where our family went, and he followed along because. He could get a job just about anywhere uh, coaching high school basketball. So we were on Oahu for one year, and then she was transferred to Maui the next year to teach at Maui Community College and to uh, to start the speech program there. So uh, we moved there when uh, I was uh, seven, and we, we spent the next uh, 10 years there. So and and this is a long time ago because I'm old. <laughs> this was in the this was in the sixties, the nineteen sixties. So you, uh, you you graduated from Baldwin. I unfortunately I didn't graduate uh, because we we had to leave Hawaii uh, in the middle of my high school years to go back to Maryland because my uh, my tutu was uh, was deathly ill and so my mother wanted to to move back there to be closer to her towards the end of her life. So I had a very hard transition from Hawaii to Maryland. <laughs> uh, it was uh, instantly, it was too cold <laughs> and the people weren't as friendly and uh, culture was different, but I ended up um, finishing high school there and it was a, a good high school, 
in fact, I really enjoyed my my senior year. But anyway, yeah, that's that's what happened. And so did you develop your love for the ocean uh, while living in Maui? Oh, absolutely. My my love for the ocean developed uh, instantly. Uh, even when we were on Oahu, I think the first beach experience I had was Waikiki. <laughs> so uh, very iconic there. But uh, on Maui, that's where I really started thinking about what I would like to do even as an eight. I, I remember when I was eight. That's when, uh, and so this will date my, uh, date me because that was the year that, this was 1969, Apollo 11. I remember exactly where I was uh, when those astronauts went to the moon and I was sitting down uh, in front of the TV set watching that. Uh, and I, everybody was just amazed by that. But I had been doing uh, a lot more uh, swimming and body surfing. And I had also uh, really gotten to know my next door neighbor who the next year became my fourth grade teacher. So I lived next door to my fourth grade teacher, wow. <laughs> which was so awesome. She used to uh, leave uh, shredded mango and sour cherry and, and other kinds of liying mui uh, for, for me to snack on. And she was just a wonderful neighbor. But she also encouraged us to to read. And because I was her next door neighbor, uh, she started encouraging me to read before I ended up in her class. And so that summer, and then of course, the, the next summer, when she was my teacher, I started reading all of these books about the ocean and about ocean exploration. And then uh, we would go to Baldwin Beach or, you know, any of the beaches there. You we we're always going to the beach as we're, we're other Maui kids. And I would start to uh, think of myself as having uh, these adventures in the sea and mm -hmm. uh, loving to swim and snorkeling and, uh, of course, uh, exploring tide pools and and all kinds of, of, of things. And then learning also that the Hawaiian islands are a volcanic chain. They uh, of course have their origin on the ocean floor and they have grown into these uh, amazing volcanoes that have breached the surface. And that's what we uh, live on uh, in Hawaii. So that fascinated me as well. So all of that led me to really want to become an ocean explorer. And at that time, I did not know really what a science was. And I thought that what Jacques Cousteau was doing uh, was science. He was on TV quite a bit uh, during, during that time. I found out later that he was really more of an underwater photographer, an underwater videographer, uh, an explorer, uh, an engineer, because he and his, his crew developed uh, the, the uh, advancements in scuba the self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. But but that, even, even after I found out about that, I thought, oh, that is so awesome. But I really like science and I want to understand more about volcanoes. Uh, I became fascinated with Haleakala uh, and the, the legend of, of Maui uh, on Haleakala slowing down the sun so, so that we could have uh, better days. And of course, uh, I hope everyone listening has seen uh, Moana uh, and and loves that that uh, Disney movie <laughs> yeah. because I, I I sure I sure do. But anyway, I really started thinking more about rocks and geology and under. I found out that there is this 
field of underwater geology. Uh, oceanography is not just marine biology. That is, of course, awesome. And everybody thinks about marine biology, but there's marine geology, there's marine chemistry, uh, there's marine physics. In fact, a lot of people in marine physics are climate scientists because of the interaction of the ocean with the atmosphere and where uh, ocean circulation uh, drives uh, storms and tsunami waves and all, all of that. Anyway, uh, that's that started for me uh, at that early age and then just developed uh, to, to high school. And uh, at that point, I was thinking about, well, how do you become an oceanographer? How do you get into this field? And I found out that what you really need to do, which is the, pretty true today, is go to college, get a, a degree in one of the basic sciences that you're interested in, uh, geology or chemistry or physics uh, or biology, and now uh, engineering uh, and also policy, because there's so many people in marine policy, which of course is very important for, for Hawaii. You get that basic degree and then go to graduate school and specialize uh, in oceanography. So that, that was my path. Wow, Don. I mean, to say that you were a curious kid, I mean, that's, I mean there's much more <laughs> to it. And, uh, you know, it, when I introduced you, that was a very short bio because your list of accomplishments is, is so long. Um, I mean, you're an author, too. I, I read that you wrote a dozen books. Um, you did a ton of research. I mean, you're talking about you <laughs> want to find out more about the ocean. Well, you you really did do that. Um, so I guess if we could fast forward now and go back to July when you actually did do that first ever dive down to the deepest point of earth. I mean, what, what, first of all, how did you even get to do that to begin with? I mean, <laughs> what, what are some of the steps that you had to do? I mean, sure. I'm sure it's a lot, but maybe one, some of the most important things, was it really challenging to break through to become the first African-American woman to go down? Yes, and uh, I, I'm really proud of that because uh, uh, they tell me that I'm the first person of African descent, first African-American person, man or woman, to to go to this place. When we were out at sea, let me just uh, diverge for, for a minute because uh, part of our, our scientific crew out there included Nicole Yamase, who uh, just got her PhD from the University of Hawaii uh, at Manoa. She got her PhD in marine biology She's from the Federated States of Micronesia, and she went to Challenger Deep last year. So she is the first Pacific Islander to go to Challenger Deep, which is so awesome. Challenger Deep as a geographical feature is technically within the territorial waters of the Federated States of Micronesia. So uh, that that is part of the story of how I got to go, because uh, the man who... Uh, is it is the author and founder and funder this is his operation victor vescovo fantastic man he is he's like a jeff bezos or richard branson or uh paul allen these uh wealthy uh people who want to make a contribution to exploration and to ocean science and they fund their own operations and between 2018 and 2019 he funded and 
uh, did with his crew, the Five Deeps uh, expedition, where he piloted his submersible to the five deepest places in all of the world's major oceans, the Arctic, the Indian Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, the Southern Ocean, and of course, Challenger Deep in the Pacific. And after he finished that, he decided to take people with him because the submersible that he uh, helped to design and that was built by Triton Submarines in Florida, that's the company that built this amazing vehicle, it uh, is a two-seater. It takes two people down. So he decided that in the next phase of his uh, organization, he wanted to take people who were very significant, who could set records along with him, who uh, could also inspire uh, others. Uh, and it just happens that that some of us are also scientists that so we had scientific studies or or we we were considered to be mission specialists because we had something specific to do uh, in the submersible in addition to just going and just setting that record. So there are uh, there are other scientists that he brought with him, such as Nicole, such as YT Lin, who is a, a scientist at the Wood Toll Oceanographic Institution. He's the first Asian a person of Asian descent to go to Challenger Deep. And he's Taiwanese. So uh, Victor wanted to make sure to take him down before the Chinese uh, reached <laughs> Challenger Deep, uh, sort of to, to set that record. And uh, YT Lin deployed a special acoustic instrument in Challenger Deep as part of a scientific study. So I'm giving all this background uh, to uh, bring it up to my opportunity uh, Victor got to know uh, a little bit about me and about the company that I work for. I work for a mapping company, and his organization does use our technology. And uh, after taking Kathy Sullivan uh, to Challenger Deep in 2021, uh, Kathy Sullivan is the first American woman to walk in space. Uh, she was also the administrator of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Uh, but as an astronaut, died, he took her to Challenger Deep as the first woman. And then she also became the most vertical person in the universe because she had been up in space and then down to Challenger Deep. She is a major collaborator and friend of our company. And she had told uh, Victor and his, um, his team about our mapping capabilities Victor invited us to go out with them to support her dive, but this took place in March of 2020, which, as we know, is when things started to just really lock down over COVID. So we were not able to go out with, with them, uh, but we did do uh, story maps for them. We did this beautiful series of story maps, which I can share uh, with your, your audience uh, by, by web links. And through that process, uh, we, we, our company, uh, which is Esri, developed a relationship with Victor and his organization, which ultimately led to Victor inviting me to go to Challenger Deep. And the reason why this was uh, also wonderful is because he wanted us to deploy our technology uh, for, for the dive, uh, but he had also found out about my background 
uh, as a as a marine geologist who had been in submersibles before. Uh, I've done several dives in the Alvin submersible as part of my prior research. And my job at uh, Esri is to to be the chief scientist. So I'm the the, the main uh, liaison between our company and other organizations for special projects like this. So that's a long circuitous uh, story route there, but that that's how that's how things happened. Well, um, you know, people aren't really familiar with you know what it takes, and um, you know they see the movie The Abyss. You know, mm-hmm. that comes to mind. You see those images. How much of that and what what we see is true versus what's really involved in in going to the depths? Yes, what is uh, the abyss is actually not so far off uh, in terms of how it portrays uh, people in submersibles. The wonderful thing about being in a submersible and going to the deepest parts of the ocean is that you can depend completely on the submersible. You don't feel any G-forces. It's not like going into space where it's uh, it can be violent. Uh, it, it, it's a lot of motion. You are you, you become weightless. Uh, I remember the movie Apollo 13 where one of the astronauts got space sick uh, and all of that that happens to your body as you leave this planet. Uh, going to going the other direction, even to the most deepest part of the ocean is nothing. It's a piece of cake, actually, in terms of your body. Uh, the main thing that I had to deal with was just being uh, limber enough and strong enough in my my core. So I did do uh, physical workouts just to make sure that I would be in good shape while being at sea and then being in the submersible because uh, our dive was 10 and a half hours long. So So I had to, we both had to sit uh, in our seats for ten and a half hours, and uh, but but in terms of of uh, feeling the pressure, we were at the bottom. We were at sixteen thousand pounds per square inch pressure. Uh, there are various ways of of expressing that. In other terms, uh, one person has described it as if you, if you took the Eiffel Tower and put that on your big toe, <laughs> that would be the equivalent pressure. <laughs> But we we didn't feel that because we were uh, inside of a titanium sphere that was covered with syntactic foam to help it uh, float. And then uh, uh, a shell, uh, a plastic, really a plastic shell over that. But it's the titanium sphere that is the, the miracle of these vehicles because titanium uh, resists pressure. And titanium in a perfect sphere, and our that part of the submersible was machined to be almost 100 uh, percent of a perfect sphere. And it's that geometry that is the very, very best at uh, resisting pressure. So we felt nothing, and the the descent was beautiful. It was very it took us four hours to get down there. It's very slow, very peaceful very much like being in an elevator. Uh, so so that part was was wonderful. The only thing I really had to contend with again was just being in a cramped space for 10 and a half hours and it got uh, very cold at the bottom. 
we there there's no heating in the submersible it, the the bottom of the ocean is near freezing but inside our submersible it got down to about 40 degrees 40 45 degrees fahrenheit so we we had a sweater a sweater socks uh caps just to keep warm well we saw your beaming smile at the end you know on the news <laughs> What were you feeling all throughout? Are there risks involved? Are you thinking about that? Um, I mean, what, what? just take us through it. Yeah, there are all kinds of risks. Uh, and uh, you, you could die uh, just as going into space is a risk. Uh, even going up in an airplane uh, is a risk as well. But in the submersible, they, they had us wear uh, NASA-like flame retardant jumpsuits. So there's a, a picture of both of us in our blue uh, jumpsuits. And that is because there, there could be uh, some type of malfunction uh, when you're down there. And if there's a fire in the submersible, having a, that, that flame retardant suit uh, gives, you, gives you a fighting chance. Uh, there is uh, also the danger of entanglement if you are caught by something or caught underneath an overhang uh, and you you can't then you can't ascend yeah you can't make it back uh, easily and we we did have four hour four days of oxygen uh, in the submersible for such emergencies so if there's an emergency like that on the seafloor you have four days to figure it out uh, because that's all of the oxygen uh, that you have. Uh, and uh, there is also the the situation, in fact, they, they trained me what to do just in case Victor uh, became incapacitated. Uh, he, he's the pilot. He did, he did everything. Uh, my life was in his hands. All I had to do was to operate our mapping uh, instrument, which was, uh, I was doing that from a, a laptop. But they uh, they told me how to what switches to flip to release the weights of the submersible, and also uh, sometimes you can uh, you can drop other things uh, off of the submersible, such as uh, the thrusters or if there's a robotic arm, uh, the submersible can shed those items, uh, which makes it the lightest and most buoyant it can be to come back up to the surface. So, uh, so I did uh, get instruction there. It, it just, it was just the mat a matter of flipping a couple of switches. So it wasn't, I didn't have to be certified or anything. So, so those are, those are some of the dangers. Uh, in fact, when we were down there, we did see an umbilical or, or some type of cable that was left behind. Uh, Victor thinks that it was left behind by the, the Chinese submersible. There's only one other submersible that can go as deep uh, as as we went and the, the Chinese have built their submersible. Apparently they have been to parts of Challenger Deep and uh, left quite a bit of, of cabling behind. We're not quite sure what, the, what, what experiments they were running or what they were doing, but there is one part uh, of Challenger Deep that Victor just will not go to because he there, there's so much cabling there that he didn't want to run the risk of getting tangled in that. Can so describe for us um, the changing scenery that you were seeing, what you were looking at outside. I mean, I would imagine maybe quite a lot of fish and then maybe not so much and 
I don't know. Well, we didn't see any fish at all, uh, but we were, sometimes you do. Uh, it just depends if, if something happens by while you are being uh, launched in the water. But descending is a beautiful oceanography lesson because you learn in oceanography classes about the different levels uh, of the ocean. And those levels are often defined uh, by the amount of light that penetrates through the, through the ocean. So the most beautiful part of a dive is going through what we call the euphotic zone where there is light. So all of us who are in the ocean, we experience that because when you're snorkeling or scuba diving, uh, humanly, you you can't go deeper than that. So you're always bathed in this beautiful light and the ocean is this beautiful blue. But as you get down to around 400 meters or so, around 1200 feet, that's when uh, light cannot penetrate into the ocean. So as we descended uh, into that area, the, the we saw the water uh, getting gray and then gradually getting pitch black. And most of the ocean is pitch black. So that's, that makes the all of the life that's in the ocean even more impressive because that's how they operate. They live uh, in total darkness. Around 900 meters depth though, that's when, and this from 400 to about a thousand meters is what's known as the twilight zone. And the twilight zone again, is mostly dark, but is also probably the most rich in biology and biodiversity. In fact, there's a, a wonderful initiative going on right now that's led by the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, and they are studying the twilight zone, and they are, are, are getting photography of the, the fish and the creatures that live there. And one of the reasons why it's so fascinating is because these creatures uh, communicate through bioluminescence, through the flashing of their blue-green light. And we saw some of that. Uh, we saw that there are creatures known as siphonophores. They're, they're like worms. Uh, they're bioluminescent jellyfish. Uh, this is where Avatar, if we're thinking about movies, <laughs> this is where if people have seen Avatar, that, that might be a, a nice approximation to that. The Abyss has uh, depicted that very nicely as well with those creatures that were, uh, they were from uh, outer space, but <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's sort of the idea. So anyway, we, uh, when Victor saw some of these creatures flashing their, their bioluminescence, he flashed the lights of the submersible. Uh, and so that allowed us to not only see them, but they flashed back at us, just amazing, just so awesome. And then uh, for the rest of the way, we saw nothing. So uh, it's pitch black. We spent a lot of time talking, uh, getting to know each other. And he also briefed me on uh, the safety equipment uh, just to make sure I understood. So uh, it was just a nice chat until we got down there. And that was about four hours later. And then when you come, when you reach the bottom, you turn on the lights of the submersible. And that is really, uh, of course, what makes everything possible. And we were using deep sea power and light equipment, which uh, they have made their equipment so that it can withstand the crushing depths of the ocean too. So the lights worked perfectly. And we saw all of these amazing things uh, that that you might have uh, covered in your, your news story, including uh, a beer bottle 
uh, that was the one, uh, in fact, that was the first thing we saw. Someone threw a beer bottle overboard and it reached, uh, it, it got to the that deepest part of the ocean ahead of us. Unbelievable. Was it intact? Yes, it was completely intact. So uh, of course, uh, a beer glass uh, is is very resistant uh, to to pressure, and uh, it was there intact. Uh, amazing. <laughs> uh, but we did see uh, other forms of life, mainly these little anemones. They can uh, exist; they can survive, and tiny little amphipods, a little shrimp. Those are the, I think, the only two creatures that we know of. I'm not a biologist. I'm a geologist, just again, that caveat. But what I what I know from my biology colleagues is that it's mainly these amphipods and uh, anemones. Those are the two species that are seen at these greatest depths. Now, we also deployed two robots. Uh, one went down to our depth to help us to navigate, but another one uh, landed, and they're called landers. It landed about 2,000 meters up, uh, higher up uh, on the trench slope. And it, it landed uh, at the depth where you do see the deepest fish that live uh, in the ocean. And these are snailfish. So we got some wonderful footage of snailfish and decapods, amphipods, uh, jellyfish, uh, and other creatures. You know, Don, um People are so fascinated with the ocean and they become so mesmerized when, when they see, you know, the deep underwater images, because, I mean, we don't have the ability to go down there um, and see those things. And um, there's still a lot of questions, too, about, uh, you know, what the ocean holds. Um, would you say that we've only just scratched the surface or, or do you know the amount of ocean uh, geology that has been explored thus far and what remains to be explored? Yes, uh, I have one estimate. We are trying to to map the bottom of the ocean, the ocean floor with, uh, with acoustic signals. Uh, this is the way that we can get topographic maps, just similar to uh, a topographic map, a map that you might take uh, into uh, a park or um, around the, the big island or to Haleakala, and it shows you the volcanoes, the landscape, uh, the the highest places on the islands and the, uh, the the lowest places. We we can create a similar map of the ocean floor. And we only have uh, around 23.4% is the last precise number that I heard. Uh, of the entire global ocean floor is mapped with modern mapping technology to similar detail that we have uh, of maps of uh, the Hawaiian islands, for instance. In terms of the water between uh, the ocean floor and the sea surface, that is so vast, and we know so even less uh, about that and we have, uh, th there's only so much that we can explore with vehicles that take us, humans. But we are making strides with robots, uh, with these, uh, some of, sometimes they're called gliders. There are all kinds of different robots that we are sending into the ocean. And these robots are taking measurements of uh, the ocean temperature and the salinity, 
uh, some robots can can sample creatures or at least take photographs of them like the robot that we used. Uh, but, but I would say maybe only about five to 10% of that volume between the ocean floor and uh, the sea surface is really fully explored. So uh, it, it just, it blows my mind as an oceanographer. And I know people are really enamored of space mm -hmm. and there's the desire to go back to the moon which I think is awesome, and to go to Mars. But uh, I, I mentioned at a climate technology conference recently that we have got to, we cannot forget about our own planet, uh, especially with climate change uh, that is bringing the dangers of sea level rise, where many of our islands, for those of us who are island people, we the, the, our islands are going to, some of them are going to disappear. <laughs> So uh, we've got to get a handle on our own planet first. So Don, um, maybe to our young listeners listening, um, do you recommend a different path to your field than the one that you took? Oh, I would recommend whatever people are interested in. Uh, it would be wonderful. We need more people uh, in my field, uh, in, in geology. We certainly need more women in all of the ocean sciences. We need more uh, people of, of different ethnic backgrounds, uh, of different genders. We need all of that diversity because it, each of us with our differences, we can notice things. Uh, we can see things and interpret things in the ocean. We each have our perspective using sound science, but sometimes we can we get to answers in different ways. So we need all kinds of people to study uh, ocean, and we need more biologists. Uh, we need them all. So if, if people have any interest in ocean science, ocean mapping uh, has also become its own field. Uh, the, the people who make the technologies, such as what my company makes, uh, the geographic information systems, and uh, there's a whole field now of of engineers who make these robots. They design and they make these robots. All of that is is fantastic and we need more people to get involved. And Don, as someone um, who sets a lot of goals, <laughs> what is your <laughs> what is your next goal? What what's your next big goal that you hope to accomplish? Well, uh, this has been so uh, amazing and so overwhelming that uh, my next goal is just to to go to Disneyland and to see <laughs> the, to see the new Star Wars uh, land, <laughs> uh, especially given the challenges of COVID. <laughs> but uh, there, we are still working with with the data, uh, and so my next goal is to really make uh, the data that we've collected come alive. And I've actually. Uh, had the wonderful opportunity now to to speak to uh, uh, media like like your program, and uh, I'm doing quite a bit of of uh, presentations to school children now. Next week, uh, at the, the, this recording here, uh, the the week following is National Geography Awareness Week, and within that uh, World Geographic Information Systems Day. So because we, uh, geography was such a big part of our expedition and of our dive, I'll be speaking to children about that. Uh, speaking also to uh, African-American, to, to black children, because 
uh, I think in our community, uh, going to the ocean and doing this type of work uh, has not really been something that people in our community have, have seen as something that we do or that we, we can do. In fact, when I was on CBS News uh, and, and my segment finished and uh, Gail King, I, I love Gail King and really admire her. I was surprised though, maybe I wasn't surprised, but she, she said, well, you know, black women don't get our hair wet. You're the first black woman I've heard of who, who does this sort of thing. So good for you, sister, you, you go ahead and do that. But, <laughs> but, but the point is, is that we do, we can get our hair wet uh, and we, and there are products to help <laughs> afterwards. And there are all kinds of, of uh, studies now being done by black scientists, by scientists in Africa uh, I'm I'm part of an organization now called uh, Black in Marine Science, and uh, the uh, all kinds of of work is being done by uh, scientists who uh, who look like me, mm -hmm. uh, and who uh, and similarly, Fijian, Tongan, uh, Palawan, you know, all all of us, uh, we are sort of like hidden figures like that, another movie reference, <laughs> uh, uh, the, there are many of us out here doing doing research. So, so another thing I would like to do is to amplify the stories of my colleagues who are doing such amazing work. Yeah, I, I actually was going to say that, um, you know, nowadays there are so many different streaming services. And I think a documentary on, you know, reaching the deepest point in on Earth, it would be widely watched. Here, want to make one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I I had the great fortune of of meeting Denise Myers, who is a, a filmmaker. I met her at the Sloan, uh, Los Angeles Sloan Film Summit. She's one of the artists who who got some funding, and these are uh, filmmakers and uh, uh, other other artists. But I think they were mainly uh, filmmakers at this this summit. Mm -hmm. And she's expressed interest in in making uh, a longer documentary. There have been uh, several little films that have been made, though, about our expedition uh, that are on YouTube. Or my my company just made a little five minute uh, short film. So uh, those are are great too because they're very short. And uh, in our society now, where we have such short attention spans, unless and even for me, unless it's a Marvel film. <laughs> or a Pixar film. <laughs> uh, the, a lot of things that I like to watch are very short. <laughs> hey, Don, do you have a um, you know, a meaningful quote or maybe an inspirational one, uh, something that uh, you live by that you'd like to share uh, with us as we close our podcast tonight? Oh, I uh, there there are a lot of things that run around in my head nowadays, but uh, I have really been thinking about kindness uh, and just to to be kind. And to uh, whatever you do to make sure that you are uh, creating a circle uh, or if it's a table, if it's something that's linear, make space at that table for, for others. So uh, especially as our, our country is struggling with that now, there's so much hate, uh, the Asian hate. I just, we're struggling with that mightily in California where I live as well as uh, hatred against um, black people as expressed by uh, non-white other non-white people 
uh, we, we're struggling right now with uh, uh, Latinos uh, and and black people not getting getting along. We can't afford that. Uh, you know, in Hawaii, that's one of the things I grew up in Hawaii, uh, where there's so many uh, different uh, ethnic groups together. And one thing that uh, I'm getting far beyond the, just the quote, but I wanted to <laughs> express this too, to be kind. And I loved how children in my elementary school, when I went to started going to, to school, the other children were so kind, and they would come up to each other and, and include it, and they would share what their ethnicity was. My name is Kimo, and I'm part Hawaiian, part Chinese, part, part Portuguese. You know, that's the way that children introduce themselves to each other. And that's how I, I grew up. I wasn't quite sure how to introduce myself. Uh, I introduced myself as, um, I think what they were saying back then was, was black. So so I, I said, well, I'm, I'm black. And they would say, oh, we thought you were from Tonga. Oh, we, <laughs> we thought you were from Fiji, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, that that is so great. I, I mean, I, I thought of like, you know, um, be like the ocean, just go with the flow. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that's another, that's a really good one. <laughs> All right, Don. I mean, I could sit here for hours. I have so many questions, but um, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're really busy uh, sharing your journey, your amazing experience with us. I'm sure you've inspired so many people just hearing what you were able to accomplish and are still continuing to set goals and keep on accomplishing, broadening your horizons. That's That's what it's all about. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, mahalo, Nui Loa. That, this was a delight. All right, Don. Best of luck to you on your next expedition. And thanks so much for joining us tonight. Aloha. Aloha. Yes, we got a break.